Welcome to the Post-Punk Podcast, episode number four. Today's guest is my old friend, Doc Hammer. You may know him as Dr. Girlfriend on The Venture Brothers, an animated program that was on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim that he co-created along with Jackson Public. But before any of that, I knew Doc as Eric Hammer, a Baroque, flamboyant, Dracula-looking, and often shirtless gothic rock guitarist from the bands Requiem in White and More Sephlytica. Doc, still a musician as well as an accomplished painter, is currently promoting his band Weep's new album, Too Much Nothing. During the interview, Doc and I catch up and discuss exactly what goth is, as well as talking about Bauhaus, The Damned, The Sisters of Mercy, Susie and the Banshees, and as well as his acquisition of a guitar that if you were to open a museum of post-punk, it would be the highlight of the collection. And now, here's the interview. Incoming transmission. It's been a long time since I've seen you. I haven't seen you in forever. I barely recognize you. You had um, you had long, uncomfortable hair. I'm sure I had terrible two-toned hair at that time. Yeah, uh, you definitely had the two-toned. Yeah. I think the last time I remember seeing you was over at Coney Island uh, for the, the wedding, uh, Frank's wedding, over at the uh, Freak Museum. Mm, I don't remember that. What you know what I remember is I think we were at a, we were at a Thai place. I remember having Thai dinner with you. Oh, yeah, that was 2007, I think. That's when we met. Yeah, that's my memory. My memory's a pile of fucking shit. I don't remember shit, you know? I, I, I have no idea what happened at any point. So if that was that was what I remember of you. I think but, I had but purple I'm a hair yeah. at that point. I decided to wear something, uh, interesting conversation piece uh, for oh, this. Oh, it's terrific. Yeah, this I'm is... Just, a- I'm just like a hick, but you have a, you have a Bowie tour jacket. Is that Serious Moonlight Tour? Yes, it is. Oh, that is a serious moonlight check. The check is very serious. Yeah, my father just gave it to me uh, last year, and Bowie himself gave it to my father on the tour because he was working for uh, Capital, so he was uh, like doing a lot, a lot of the East Coast promotion for the record. That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah, Bowie gave it to my dad during That's the tour. Amazing. Yeah, you're you're the one of the biggest Bowie fans I know. I think. A monster Bowie fan. I met David Bowie and I said his name to him. I was so fucking speechless that I just, I shook his hand and said David Bowie like an imbecile. This is David Bowie. <laughs> I was like, I was just re- reaffirming whose hand I had in mine and I said it to him and he was, uh, he didn't think that was weird. Uh, I'm sure he had no recollection of it. I'm, I'm, I guarantee he didn't print it. He also lives or lived uh, half a block away from me in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You live in that that area, the Lower East Side area. I think uh, he lived... I lived in what's called Little Italy. Yeah, yeah. And I and he lived right down the street, barely a block over. And I would see him occasionally. I'd see Amon and the kids a lot, but I would see him occasionally, just shopping. Regular Bowie, human Bowie, human form Bowie. Yeah, human form Bowie. He takes many manifestations and shapes. But the... so when are we going to do this? So we have we started? We started. Oh well, congratulations. <laughs> um. So. How did your Bowie fandom manifest? Did it happen when you were a kid growing up? Were you? Are you from Connecticut? I am, ultimately. 
Um, but it, it, I don't think Bowie doesn't matter. A Bowie fan doesn't really come from a specific place. They're not like urban Bowie fans, suburban Bowie fans, country Bowie fans. Bowie is this siren call. And no matter where you are, if you are meant to hear this call, you hear this call at some period. And I don't remember, it wasn't, I wasn't young when I first got into Bowie. My sister my is, is older than me, right? And she liked alt music. But more than that, she liked alt boys, right? And my sister was very handsome. So alt boys would come to our house with mixtapes. You know what I mean? And uh, there's nothing like a mixtape made by a, a lovelorn teenager. They're, they're just fantastic. And because they have, they don't just have songs that are cool. They have songs that define them as cool. So it's like, oh, here's a Gen X song. But here's a Gen X song that you you never heard before because it's a B-side. So I'm a little kid, like a really little kid. And I'm listening to cassette love letters to my sister, you know, that were just the best music ever. It's like the best music ever because it was music that was supposed to get these kids laid, you know? So I, I just got lucky having an older sister who liked punk rock boys. And I would have stacks of these tapes. And when I was very young, I you know, heard Adam and the Ants, which is like pirate rock. So you're a little kid. That's the coolest thing in the fucking world. Oh my God, they're pirates. Pirate rock is awesome. And then you would hear bands that like tickled that Rafi button, that blues clues button that little kids have, that, that sing-songiness. So I, so I liked um, the bands that bordered on punk pop from the original generation, which they all did. Um, you know, the damned had sanity claws and stuff like that was awesome when you're a little kid. So when I started, I didn't listen to regular music because it just wasn't on in the house. My dad didn't like music. My mom liked classical. So all, all I had was, um, punk rock boy music and it was amazing to me. So I, yeah, so I went from this kind of like Adam and the ants. Uh, I dug the aesthetics as a child. And then I started hearing like the damned and things like that. And if you really look at the damned, they're not really a goth band. They really are this kind of like amalgamation of their players. There's not a lot of bands that really sound like who's in the band, but they just didn't have a sound. It was really like Captain Sensible and Rat Scabies had the they were very opposed aesthetics. The first album, of course, had like Brian James, who had a very specific sound. And then they had Captain Sensible started playing a guitar. He was a bass player in the first stuff. And then they would have this revolving door of guitar players and bass players. But the band kept evolving. And they were always a little psychedelia with the darkness that comes with having Dracula as your singer. But a sense of humor Dracula. Like, he wasn't posing. Like, he's Dave Vinian's just fucking Dracula. And it's it's an amazing band. It, it really appeals to her kid. The Black Album was like a huge album for my youth. And then I went to a party, again, with my sister. I went to a party where she went to college, and I'm a little kid, and everybody's talking to the little kid with his weird hair, because I cut my hair punk because I was a little kid who liked punk. And somebody took me aside. I think his name was Nate. Like, I remember his fucking name. And he took me aside, and he goes, do you like Bauhaus? And I go, I don't know what the fuck Bauhaus is. And he goes, you should just get Bauhaus. Get Bauhaus. Just go to go to your record store and get Bauhaus. So I went to the record store, and like a jackass, I got the wrong Bauhaus album. I, th I think I got Sky's Gone Out, which is, it's fine. They don't make bad albums, this band here. But I should have got, for me at that age, I should have got um, Flatfield. Because I listened to Sky's Gone Out, I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's not life-changing. This guy, Nate doesn't apparently know me. And then I went back to my, because back when I was a kid, I'm a thousand. And when I was a kid, you went to your local record shop 
and you ordered albums. Like they didn't have them. You said, I want this specific album. They let you look at a catalog, like a fucking real catalog and go, what do you want kid? And you might've to pay in advance. So I'm like, I want this one. And they sent, they sent it to me. I went and picked it up. I rode my BMX bike over and got it. And it was flat field. And I heard double dare. I must've shit myself. It, it, it meant so much to me. I used to stand on my bed holding anything, fake guitars, even before I was playing guitar. I was really young. And, and uh, like, pretend play guitar to double dare. It's actually the bass part, because I'm a kid. I don't know what's bass, but that do-do-do-do-do is a bass. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's a half-step bass modulation a child can play. Uh, it sounded so cool, and that was life-changing. So, uh, you know, out go my hardcore albums, because I was really into hardcore. So, um, you know, my Minor Thread albums and all my Black Flag albums and stuff, that didn't mean anything anymore. What is this? And it was before it was called Goth, actually. That's how old I am. And, and how long I've loved music. That It didn't really have a name. Um, you know, some, some LA people tried calling it Death Rock. It didn't really have a name. It was just this spooky music from, from England. And then I heard Sisters of Mercy. I think the first thing I got was um, Reptile House. Mm. And Reptile House is just like, it's all about restraint. You know what I mean? Reptile House and early Cocteau Twins are all about foreplay with when it pays off you think it pays off huge, you know? Like, if you listen to Kiss the Carpet, which is on Reptile House, it's just this shitty, <laughs> like, it's either a hi-hat or, a, like, a, the bell of a ride. It's a, it's a drum machine, obviously. But it's just this ting, ting, and, you know, the song's going, do-do, ting, ting. It does this for three minutes, and you're just waiting for something uh, to happen. And that anticipation, when it pays off, it feels like the fucking earth opens up and God himself, you know, shoots up with wings and fire. It's nothing. What comes in is just mincy little, nee, 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 mincy guitars. And, but it feels huge because you're just sitting there waiting for this intro to pay off same with uh, early cocktail twins but it pays off beautifully because they're really a band about beauty where you just hear these long intros and just blam everything expands that was a that's a huge thing for me that informed my music eternally i can't get that out of my head this idea that something should pay off in a grand form i once uh, heard somebody theorize that Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus is one extended like foreplay leading up to to climax I don't know what the payoff of Bela Lugosi is dead <laughs> because it starts off with um, this kind of Caribbean dub drum beat. You know, it really is. It's like this weird side stick kind of thing and they're running it through an old analog delay where they're shifting the time so you get this they're dicking around and it lasts for fucking ever. But I'm not sure if that song has a payoff. I'm not a huge fan of that song, I'll be honest with you. I've always found it to be stupid. I thought I thought if you sing a song about a vampire and you're mentioning a guy that played a vampire in the movies, you're a little too on the nose. You're just a little too on the nose. And when you're a kid, possibly even now, authenticity, side, let me sidestep this for a second. If there is a word that means cool, that word might be authentic, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what the word cool means. Everybody thinks it's a different thing. There are people that wear Crocs, with shorts and they think they look good, right? It, it's not cool. It just isn't cool. 
And I think it's it's not authentic. That's the problem. There is this deep, something that is cool is deeply itself. It's deeply authentic. And I wanted that so bad when I was a kid. That was all I cared about. I didn't care about popularity or mainstream or what's the scariest or anything. I was looking for the real fucking deal. A song like Bella Goes Is Dead is too, it's too removed from authenticity, you know? And I'm not blaming Bauhaus because they brought me Double Dare, which is as authentic as music gets. It is huge. It is epic and weird. Oh, this song is amazing. Still gives me shivers. That hair on the back of your neck stands up. I love it. I, I think that you j- might have just missed Bauhaus live, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you weren't able to see them in their first run. I was way too young. I think by the time I really gave a shit, they were broken up and I didn't have a chance to see them. Plus, where are they playing? New London at the LNG Club? I'm, I'm living in Connecticut. Who's going to drive me down there? My mommy <clears throat> didn't have that option. But I, I, I saw them when they first reformed on their first reformation. Did you see the TV monitor, Double Dare kind of intro to the concert? That blew me away when I saw that in 1998. That was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. Mm, I don't remember. I know when they first reformed, I don't know what year it was. It feels like it could have been 98, um, just from what I what job I had at that time. But yeah, it was big, but it's, 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 it's you can never go back. You know what I mean? And I had met them. We like threw them a party afterwards and I met them and you can never go back. You know what I did see? If you want to play the game of what did Doc Hammer see because he's fucking old and love this music his whole life. I saw Tones on Tail on their first tour at Danceteria. Whoa, how did that happen? Uh, you can have a fake ID back then. It, nobody cared. And I didn't look like a, I looked like a illegal drinking age woman. You know what I mean? I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't look like a young man. I looked really womanly when I was a kid. So they're like, oh, this girl can obviously get in. She's, she looks of age. It's nobody like was, that could come into play later. Yeah. yeah Noah, <laughs> in the worst way, I get to play a woman with a, the single most masculine voice ever. Yeah, if I don't speak, I've always had a masculine voice. If I don't speak, I'm very womanly. Or and I don't try to grow one of these beards. Yeah, so I saw Tones and Tails, and it was from I was in New York because when I was a kid, I would go to New York. I lived in Connecticut, which is right between Boston and New York. You go to either and go see. So I'm hanging out. I'm maybe I'm probably. 15 or so. I'm hanging out in New York doing nothing. And I, I saw a flyer. That's how they used to advertise shows. Flyer. And it said, Daniel Ash and Kevin Haskins of Bauhaus. And then it said, Tones on Tail. I had never heard of them. This is before anything came out. They were just touring. So I'm like, that's a lie. I'm, you know, because you're your kid, you doubt everything. I'm like, that's fake. That's not real. So I went and I saw them play. Yeah, I, I talked to Daniel Ash at the bar. I don't think he liked me. I didn't like me at that age, so I don't want to find that, that to be that weird. Um, and they played, yeah, when, uh, what was that song? The da, da, da. Was it Go? Is no, it called no. War, maybe? Da, yeah. da, da. I think it might be War. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Who gives a shit? When they played that, it would go, dun, 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 on every dun, they had turned the house lights at the audience, so the lights went on. And it blinded you. But I, what's his name did that too? Nick Nick uh, Cave did that for that uh, Red Right Hand song. Where it goes, when he hit the big bell, that dang, the house lights would go on. You learn that song immediately just so you wouldn't have uh, retinal problems. So when, so I learned that Tones and Tail song. Also, they played a song called Christian Says with an Ebo, you know, which is just an, I have one here. I mean, this won't help our listeners, but it will help you. This is an Ebo, right? I don't know if you've ever seen one. I, I saw Daniel Ash use that. Yeah, it's a little electromagnet in here. So it sends out an electromagnet field that pushes on the string, and the string comes back, and it pushes back, and that's called vibrating. So it'll just do one long sustinato note 
So when he played Christian Says on the Ebo, I'm like, what the, I, I need that. What is that object? There was another band called, I think the, the Vibrators, I think, that used an Ebo when I was young. And uh, I was obsessed with it. So I started using that. I, to this day, I still use an Ebo on my stuff. Factoid. Did you, uh, you were, were you able to see Susie and the Banshees? Uh, oh, millions of times. Yeah, so Susie and the Banshees. If, if, a, a list of bands I saw in their heyday would be, I couldn't even complete the list because all I cared about was music. So I saw everything when it was actually happening because that's all i cared about and even though i was a little kid and just a little later i started making it like we formed requiem when we were in high school we're kids that was, so, that was uh 85 or was it earlier I didn't, the, the dates don't mean anything we used to lie in our records we would always early date them because i didn't want to be i never wanted to be a new band you know what i mean so the dates yeah. are meaningless because uh, I, I don't know might have been 86 85 85 might have been when we started because I remember we used to go to the drummer's garage to rehearse in like um, somewhere in Connecticut. I don't remember where it was, where, where Chris or uh, Lisa lived. Nobody wanted to rehearse at my house. Too far, too far. It's interesting to me, t the sound of Requiem in White. Uh, yeah. This kind of propaganda magazine kind of sound, Baroque kind of. I don't think anybody, look, you're talking to the wrong guy about what my band sounds like because I hear things in it that nobody, if you want to know what my sound is, talk to somebody that listens to it. Probably you're a better mm. guess or, or, or Frank um, DeSerto, you know, Frank. Yeah. He, he listens to music more than I listen to music. Like I don't, my band sounds like completely different than to, to my ears and anybody else's. Cause it's, I remember it's specific design, but I've never heard a band that sounded like Requiem at our best. We sounded like nobody and we will never sound like anybody. It was a weird combination of beautiful and brutal that had electric guitars that knew not metal. It did not understand metal. And a lot of these bands that do this electric guitar, chick singing opera stuff, they know metal. They actually, and they rely on, on uh, the shorthands of the metal language. I never played metal. Like, I, I liked it. I listened to it, but I never played those uh, the metal tropes and the metal bands I liked were just super far from what we did. I mean, I loved Celtic Frost and Venom and stuff like that, but I, uh, it never made it into the music. And I'm not a good guitar player, but I'm one of the worst guitar players on the fucking planet. I'm awful. And because of that, my hands do very specific things because I'm not versatile. It's just, you want me to fucking play guitar? It's going to always going to sound like me because I'm not a great guitar player. So it always had this very specific sound. I have this legato sound. I play a lot of open chords because my fingers don't move well. Like, and the sound of a guitar player is really a two prong thing. And one of them is usually damaged and the other one is usually uh, excelling. So if you have a guy that's really good with his hands, but his aesthetics aren't that great, he doesn't really understand the, the taste of music and the, um, how beautiful it can be and how brutal it can be. But his hands are good. You get a very specific sound. Or if you get someone like me whose hands suck, but I truly understand what I'm looking for. I mean, if I'm, if, if I'm anything, I'm an artist playing guitar. I'm not really a guitarist. You know, I, I, uh, I've been a painter longer than I've been a musician um, and a writer and all those things. So I started with painting. I moved into music because it was a palette that I loved and I could only do very specific things with that. But it didn't matter because you don't need a lot of ability to make a great sound. You know, you need taste and that's the most important thing. And going back to cool, not to call myself cool, but authenticity does help. Oh, oh, and I will call myself cool. I'm pretty fucking cool. I mean, let's be honest. Let's not play games here. <laughs> <laughs>
something stupid. Going back to what we uh, mentioned before we we hit record, I still am blown away that you have John McGeeock's guitar. I'm still blown away that I have John McGeeock's guitar. It's a weird thing to own. And I only own it because it was my, um, you know, people wake up and they read the paper or people wake up and they go on Facebook and stuff. I used to wake up and try to find John McGeeock's guitar. I'm not fucking with you. From like right when he died, I thought like, oh my God, what a tragedy. He's the, he's the greatest guitar player that ever was. Um, what happened to his guitar? That must be out there somewhere. And I was obsessed with his guitar. As much as I love John McGeeock, honestly, I was more a fan of Tom Schultz from Boston than I was of John McGeeock. And um, I loved his playing. He had this very angular playing. It was cool. It didn't sound like anything else. Um, what's the guy from Public Image? Keith? Keith Levine? Keith Levine. Yeah, he, uh, him and Keith Levine had this very specific rhythmic choppiness that I, I really loved. Um, but John McGeeck plays, like he plays. It's If you play a Susie song, you're playing. It's hard. He plays hard stuff. Keith Levine song, I could teach someone who can't play guitar to play Keith Levine song. Um, but he did that. that. Again, going back to what I'm saying before, Keith Levine is not a great technician. His aesthetics are like just generate, one in a generation. You know what I mean? He just knows what sounds cool and is able to make his hands do it. That's the world I come from. Anyway, so when I was a kid and I'm interested in guitars, I um, I didn't know what kind of guitar I wanted, right? And I didn't have a lot of money. I still don't have a lot of money. But there are two guitars that I thought were super cool looking. And one was, um, there's a band called Christian Death. And the original Christian Death had a like a, a punk rock SoCal kid playing guitar, Rick Agnew. Um, was it was it Rick? Yeah. Yeah, it was Rick. It was Rick. I get it because the, the adolescence and stuff and his brother Frank, I always forget who was doing what. Um, he had a Les Paul, like a black Les Paul custom, at least in that picture. I've never seen him with it. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, he might have borrowed it. I don't know where it came from. Although later I met Rick and he was convinced mine was his. I'm like, I promise you, mine is because I think he wanted my guitar. Doesn't matter. It was very nice, actually. Um, so <laughs> I saw that guitar when I was a kid. I'm like, beautiful. It's a beautiful object. It's just guitars, they might have very specific sounds. A Les Paul has a very specific sound, but I don't care. I, I play guitars because I like the way they look. Does that make me shallow? I accept it. I accept it. I, if you're in a relationship with this guitar, you better like the way it looks. You, you better like the way it looks on you. You better like staring at it across the room. You should actually be a little bit in love with this thing. And if you buy like a Paul Reed Smith because it sounds good and your relationship to it is it's my tool, I don't know you. For me, these guitars are beautiful objects that I love staring at. So I figured I wanted a Les Paul because it looked beautiful. They're... Uh, super heavy. I should have never bought one. It fucked up my, my life. Um, but the other guitar I loved, which I didn't know what it was, was um, John McGeeock's guitar, which if you look at it, it looks like a Les Paul with two cuts, a double cutaway, top and bottom. It is not. I didn't know that. This is before the internet. This is before I even knew people that could answer this question. If you had a question like that when when I was a kid, you, you couldn't solve it. It was a fucking mystery. You just lived with the mystery. Enjoy the mystery. Because uh, you can't figure out what it was. It took years for me to figure out what kind of guitar it is. It happens to be a Yamaha and it's basically a Les Paul, but it has two cutaways. It's set up like a Les Paul. I can tell you the whole history of this stupid thing. It's not important now. It's a Yamaha SG 1000. 
Um, and then I learned that. So I owned three of these things. Like I kept buying them because I, I, I just wanted the John McGee guitar. I thought it looked cool when I was a kid. So I own three or four of them, not including John, which will, that's the end of my story. Um, I own a much better one that, that's behind me that's been plecked, which is like a laser system where the frets are aligned perfectly. It's a much better guitar. It sounds great. Better than my Les Paul because I actually have and spent most of my life playing a Les Paul um, like it was a 1968 Les Paul tuxedo custom beautiful guitar but this one plays better than that and i used to find a, a, a back to john mcgeek guitar i used to research it on the internet like where did this thing go one day i found it i just found the guitar and through bidding and whatnot i ended up with the guitar and it's in my apartment i picked it up and i held it like a uh, a child like i couldn't hold it like a guitar i held it like this like I walked around oh 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 you know and then i then i played like a monitor or something some slinky little riff on it and then i put it into its case and it's just been sitting there i didn't want to play all the john out of it you know what i mean i like to keep a little bit of john in there but it's his guitar very much authenticated even you can even freeze frame in the video for spellbound and see the mother of pearl position markers on the fretboard that have very specific you know mother of pearl is a uh, supposed to be naturally occurring these are probably actually cellulite they're, they're, they're cellulose they're made from plastic but they're still an organic shape and it has the exact it's his guitar and that is the shot on whatever sides and happy house that's the guitar you know that's the actual one somebody once asked me oh do you know a guitar because people ask me i can hear a sound and tell you what guitar it is it's just from playing all these years and caring about guitars and i collect them and I'm big into guitars so i could tell you what it is somebody goes what is that guitar and it was it was the magazine song and i go that's my guitar was, I, I i own that it was like the first time anybody gave a shit that i own this guitar most people don't care there there, there are things in this world that they can consume you and nobody else cares. You know what I mean? It's like if you're a watch guy, if you have a watch that you love, you're waiting your whole life for someone to go, oh, what kind of watch is that? Nobody ever will. Nobody even knows you have a watch. Nobody cares. But, you know, same with, with guitars. Like for someone, someone to go, oh, you have the Susie and Banshee's guitar. That, that's amazing. Maybe happened twice, three if I count that you give a shit because nobody cares. They really, they really I mean, don't. I mean, Doc, it's the holy grail of post-punk right there. I agree. I was going to start a museum. I was like, I have that guitar. If I can get Andrew Eldritch's sunglasses, those dopey aviators, maybe Peter Murphy's stirrup pants. You know what I mean? The stirrup pants he wore like every show. Uh, what else would I put in the my museum of post-punkery? I don't know. That's how I wanted to start it with those three things. You know, lean towards gospel post-punk. Uh, positive punk. It would be a museum of positive punk. Yeah, that's what they called it, I think, in the UK before the term goth was used. I don't even think the term goth was used until like 83 to like 85. I don't I don't remember hearing it yeah. until about 84. Yeah. 84 in the US is where I heard it. And I remember someone asking me what my opinion was of it. They go, oh, I hear they're calling it goth. What do you think of that? And I go like in a Charlotte Bronte kind of way. Like it was brand new. So I'm like, I'm, I'm putting it together. I'm going, hmm. I guess. I mean, if, if that idea of dark romance, which is really what goth is. You know, why is goth not metal? You know what I mean? Like these big questions. What what makes goth? And I think for the most part, goth is actually a style of dress, right? It really isn't a genre. It's, it just fucking isn't. Because if you can... I, I've been on tour a lot, and I've heard a lot of goth bands, and they have nothing in common but black clothing. That is it. That is all they have in, in I'm playing with like how job. I'm like, what, what is this? Song? This is crazy. 
<laughs> like this sounds nothing. Why am I together with these people? They're very nice people, but um, it just didn't. It, it, there is no goth sound. There really isn't. Um, and people, anybody that wants to argue that, they'll just be wrong. There's no goth sound. And then there are bands that like they don't even get the the outfit message. You know, chameleons. So fluffy sweaters. That's a fluffy sweater band. Plaid shirts, fluffy sweaters. Um, red lorry, yellow lorry. That's like a tan leather vest and no shirt kind of band that's a blue jeans band they didn't get but that's a tousled blonde hair kind of band they didn't get the message that you're supposed to dress a specific way so yeah i, I actually then i just blew that out of, out of the water so it's not even the outfits goth doesn't exist i think that's that's the takeaway is that goth is whatever you decide if you're a person and you have an opinion of what goth is, you are correct. Even if nobody agrees with you, that's how goth works. There is there is no real definition for it. There just isn't. Would you concede that you were a goth at that point because the hair, the beard, the outfits? Actually, you were shirtless a lot of your Requiem and White shows. I oh, I love not. shirtlessness. Um, a shirtless band is like, that was the pinnacle of, of high goth for me. Like, are they shirtless? You know what I mean? Can they be a shirtless band? There's something about that like primal aspect. Um, it's when Tool, I saw Tool and Tool was shirtless once. And seeing Tool like taught me so many fucking things. It changed, watching Tool changed my life. Am I a huge Tool fan? Not really. But let me tell you about, I'll tell you about, ask you about Tool later, but they're a shirtless band. Um, early Swans, shirtless band. Um, shirtless bands. Even even like even their goofy shirtless bands. Like if you take um, Butthole Surfers, that's a shirtless band. They would take their shirts off. There's a there's a primal aspect to that. So I yeah I used to I would never wear shirts. And if I did, they'd be fluffy or something, some thing weird fucking thing. But yeah, I would play shirtless a lot. What were you asking me? Would I consider Requiem a goth band? Yeah, sure. Why not? Goth is something you can't shake. If you look at me now in my plaid with my straight up pompadour. And I've pushed goth completely to the side. But if you break it down, you're like, no, you really have old Southern death cult hair. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I can't get away from it. Yeah, soupçon. Soupçon of like that kind of theater of hate pompadour. Can't get rid of it, you know? And believe me, when I can go walk out, I'll shave off my beard. And it's just, no matter what I do, it's it looks like Dracula doing it. I can't avoid it. I can't, you... Uh, you are a vampire, Don. Uh, yeah, it's just like you... you uh, as ex-goth as I am, it doesn't matter. I'm still goth. I can't get rid of it. And if I listen, if you look at my iPod and if you flip through it, you would just look up and go, dude, you're goth. Like, you haven't let go of this shit. And I don't. Music, art, entertainment for me is not something about what's happening now. I don't give a fucking rat's ass what's happening now. It's about truth. If I like a Caravaggio painting, nobody's going like, oh my God, that's hundreds of years old. You're so out of it. You know, it's like, it's truth. It's great. It's, and the music I listen to is stuff from yesterday and then stuff from five years ago, stuff from 10 years ago, 15, 20, 30. It's, I, I don't let go. I just accumulate. If there's something that I love, I take it in and it's just, it, it rests with the whole batch. I don't have this thing where I keep changing and wanting to be different. So am I goth? Yeah, I have to be. Also, it, it's it, if I'm goth, I might be the only goth. I, I posit that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if I am goth, who else is goth? Nobody, because goth is, doesn't really exist. There, there's nothing is goth. Daniel Ash mm. just said that the other day, too. And during the interview, he said he were, was apparently quoting Susie originally right. saying it. But just like a couple weeks ago, Daniel Ash said that. Said goth what? Goth doesn't exist. 
It doesn't. It's it's a thing that we created, a genre that we created to lump bands in that none of the bands considered themselves goth. They really didn't. So it's 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 a post justification of something that never really happened. So it doesn't exist between you and I as fans. Of course, it exists. It's something that we can. You know, you go on some uh, I don't know well, uh, Pandora and you type in Bauhaus. The next song they play, it's going to be goth. It just is. It's it's and it's gonna make you angry. That like, am I that predictable? That you can just type in one of my bands and ten songs in, you're like, this is all my iPod. Like apparently, I'm just everybody else. And if I like that, I like all these other things. Until like something will come in where I don't care, like March Violets or something. I'm like, eh, I never cared about that stuff. It just didn't, didn't appeal to me. I'm I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure if I listen to it, I'd be like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> It's fine. It's like pizza. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I guess I like all goth. I used to have an answer for for what when I was younger, people would go, "What is what's a goth like? A real goth band?" And I go, "I think it's London After Midnight." Like they might be the only goth band because like they they're all in. You know what I mean? Like they the look, the everything. They they just they they might be the only goth band. It can't, it can't be my shitty little band that nobody cares about because there are too many hard rock influences. There's too much opera. There's, you know, it's it's not really gothy. But I, I watch videos of it. I'm like, my God, we're the gothiest fucking thing on the planet. It really looked like Dracula. It looks like Dracula. I feel Straight like you Dracula. got even more goth when you uh, made it more syphilitica. That was did, even like taking it up a notch. Did it? I mean, white he, sounds goth already, but I, I did. I did. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Morris was just trying to focus the sound. Like every band I've I've been in is just trying to focus the sound into something that I can tolerate. You know, Requiem is fine. It w- would I have been a fan of Requiem? I don't know. I, sometimes I think I don't, I wouldn't have been. It's not my cup of tea, which is weird that you're in a band that and you write the songs and you don't like it. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, I didn't dislike it. I think, you know, you take five Requiem songs, they're fine. Um, I don't know about all of it. And then Morris was trying to get closer to that sound. And then I got as close as I could and then started Weep to get closer. Weep is, of all my bands, is the one I like the most. Like, I can listen to Weep and go, I like this. It's closer to what I want to make. I love the record you put out. Um, came out last year, I believe. Songs we you didn't ask us to cover or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That is great. It, it, it's exactly songs that nobody ever asked for. And it was done very quickly. I did that in um, right after I became a paraplegic which uh, I became a paraplegic. Um, I had to, I, I, I couldn't really play guitar. Drumming was very difficult. All these things are really hard. So to train myself to do them again, I made an album, which is what that is. And if you look at the back of that record and zoom in, it is my back. And there's a little line going down it with staples. That's not doctored. That is what my back looked like. I had a massive back surgery. I, I had a terrible uh, T456 uh, wound that um, you know has forever fucked up my back. I can't really feel my feet much anymore. I can't. I'm a different man. And having that happen to you, you can. It, it's a crossroad. Either you just go fuck all this shit, which I'm laying in the hospital, full paraplegic, could not move anything. I thought, 
oh, finally, I don't have to be in a band anymore. Like it was, I had kind of made this resignation of like, oh, it's, it's so much hassle. And then I don't know, about a year and I'm like, I got to play music. So I learned how to play all the instruments again. And as I went through physical therapy, I was able to stand and I was able to play guitar again. And um, that's what that album is. So the back of it is truly a picture of my recovery back. I was originally going to call it like recovery, you know, covers recovery. But I think an Eminem album was called recovery or something. So I couldn't. So I uh, named it songs that nobody wanted us to cover because nobody wanted us to cover John Cale. That's <laughs> like, the, <laughs> nobody's looking for that. Or Chicago. <laughs> That's, mm. Interesting thing about Chicago, uh, Peter Cetera. With the Bauhaus shirt in the video. Yeah, yeah, no, look, nothing gets past Doc Hammer. I saw that when I was a kid going, what the fuck is going on there? It's like when you see Metallica wearing a Misfit shirt, you're like, what's going on there? But I hear you. Interesting thing about it. Yeah, what was else? Uh, there was Chameleons on there and Cocteau Twins. Well, Cocteau Twins, every song I did, I had a reason to do it. One, I was doing it because I, I had to play laying down. It was like a nightmare. So I'm learning how to play again. And then I wanted to present songs in the way that I hear them in my head, where I think I did Don't Fall by the Chameleons, which Chameleons use a lot of super sauce, and it's a very, it's a very weird delay sparkly production but that song is just a descending scale it's just this it's it's a monster rock song so i thought well, well let me just play it like it's a monster rock song so that's what i did i played it a little more stripped down um same with sisters of mercy that like i was wanted to play that song the way i hear it in my head which is stripped down without those things and they still work these are you know these guys didn't suck these are well-written songs except for cocktail twins where that song is so beautiful it's the most beautiful song in the world it's it's when I first heard Pearly Pearly Dewdrops Drop, I was offended that somebody would do that. Like angry. It's really this kind of like, how dare you touch God? You know what I mean? How dare you pierce the veil and see the beyond without talking to me about this? You know, I felt like it was a personal affront that somebody had gone that deep with beauty it, it, i don't i can't explain what was happening i was offended and i put it on with headphones and if, once i got rid of my offense of like how dare you be great because uh you know i'm a terrible human being my instincts are awful then i kept listening to it till i eventually started crying and not like boo, 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 little tear um my diaphragm wasn't working so spasmodic crying uh, listening to that song. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. Super beautiful. And it's always been stuck in my head as like the prettiest song. Most of Treasure gives me the same feeling. So when I covered that, I have the world's worst voice. Like I am, I get paid to have a terrible voice. I have an awful voice. Uh, it's gravelly. It's deeper than it should be. It's not a good voice. And um, when I sing, it's infinitely worse. And calling it singing, it's, most of the time it is screaming on key. It's not singing so when i did that song uh, elizabeth fraser has the single most beautiful voice on the planet it's it's a weird little miracle it's it shouldn't have happened it it is um it's like an eclipse it it, it it's a very rare thing and you should never look at it so when i was going to cover it i was like well i i can't do this so i just kind of i just just do it as yourself just relax and do it as you and like let the song work and it's fucked up it works like if you've heard my version you don't go like oh that guy's terrible you just go oh it's a pretty song with some guy with a slightly deeper voice singing it's fine it's fine i just i just let myself have it but i included strings and i i tried to make it a little more grand because their production has always been strangely clunky to me their kick drums are always weird 
very high pitched. There's not a lot of meat under them. It's a weird production that works for them. So I produced it a little bit more um, correct. I don't know. Nothing against Robin. I mean, shit. He worked with stuff he did with felt. He turned felt into uh, Cocteau Twins. He turned the Gun Club into Cocteau Twins. He turns bands into the Cocteau Twins. But I wanted to try that songwriting in my style of production, which is a little more grand. It works fine. It works fine. How, how uh, soon after finishing completing that did you get into Too Much Nothing? I don't know. Um, I probably let a month go by. I was getting, I was getting my show was getting canceled around that time. And when your show gets canceled and you're paralyzed and your life is, then COVID shows up. Like, you know, I had, were it not me, I would have sucked on the fucking barrel of a gun. Like my life was terrible. So, but I'm me. And so I go, oh, that's a good opportunity here. I should make a record. So I did too much nothing. Um, being able to play, finding out that I could play the instruments still. And then I just started on too much nothing probably Two months later, very rolled right into it. Pretty good record. I feel like it's uh, has this nineteen ninety one alt rock it kind does. Of vibe. It does. It's supposed to. It's um, albums that you make are this weird amalgamation art that you make. Actually, if you're legitimately legitimately making art, and you're not making art because somebody pays you, or because you're trying to be somebody else, or because you want people to see you in this specific way. If you're just making art, it is a, an amalgamation of everything you love and everything you hate, right? And that filter is not as tight as it should be. A lot of what you hate gets in there, and a lot of what you love get, gets thrown out. So when I made that, I was listening to a lot of that kind of thing. I was listening to a lot of like hives and placebo and like all those like great, early 2000s, late 90s bands, bravery even, like just nonsense. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that you consider fluff and that we've already forgotten about, I'm listening to it going, this is great. <laughs> this is fine. I, I I completely accept this. This is so much better than what is on radio. This is this is good. Um, so it get, got stuck in there. I was listening to a lot of like Stiv Baders who did these oh. solo albums um, where he covered like local 60s bands um, doing like this doo-oppy tinged um, pop music and he covered them as Stiv Baders and they're you know too much to dream last night and stuff like that and that was stuck in my head too so I had that run, rolling around in there this kind of backup singery thing I was listening to a lot of Bowie a lot of backup singery stuff so where a lot of my albums delve into this kind of hugeness with horns and strings this one got really into Ooh la la la, that kind of nonsense, like like backup singing, because it was just happening in my uh, car or wherever I'm listening to music. I listen to music all day long, so it was just happening. So yeah, it it, it shows up. Is it a homage to like '90s rock? Nope. It's just it's just me. It's, I hear it, and it sounds like weep. It just sounds like weep. If there are a lot of that kind of sounds on the older albums. Songs like the rope could have been on any album. It's it's just a straight ahead oh, I like I like this drum part <laughs> that's what the, you know the drums 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 feeling so uh no I love it I, I think it's a great I if I may say so and I will that I think too much nothing is just a it's a, a kind of record that people aren't making right now and it's a good fucking record you know and why make albums that other people are making you know make something that nobody's making I think uh, my answer favorite a call track. that nobody's calling for you know do it for yourself I think my favorite track on the record is uh no cold winter yeah Sure. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I love and hate all of them. No Cold Winter, I remember specifically because getting that guitar sound took three days. I just remember how long it took me to get that guitar sound. There's like a, 
you know, it's a, it's a D, you're hitting a D and it, and it comes up and you hit a harmonic. So it's like, dun, 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 dun. it's a very, um, opening up your hands and letting the harmonics ring is, uh, uh, it's a Jordy from Killing Joke move. That's what he did. It was like, Jordy, Jordy played the most hilarious, simplistic guitar parts. Like learning them is the most heartbreaking thing ever. You're like, that's it? That's what he's playing? Oh my God, an idiot could play this. But there you go. Back to what I was saying before. Not a great guitar player, just the best taste. Like those parts are awesome. So yeah, he getting was... that sound where you pull off and the harmonics still ring, three days of dicking around with a stupid amplifier to get that goddamn sound. So that's what I remember about it. And the guitar part is my favorite aspect of that. Yeah, it's in 3-4, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I love this, uh, the continuation of the sleeve theme as well, uh, which is on the Weep record for 2015, has that worn out 45 look to it. Yeah, love it. well, that's the, geez, I mean, you, you make stuff digitally today, and half of what's wonderful about a record is the the object, just dreaming on that object. You just hold it, you felt so much more connected to the music, and you just stare at whatever stupid three pictures they gave you forever and read the liner notes, and that, you know, we've lost that. Is it, am I lamenting it? Not really. We only had it for 50 years. It's not like some terrible crime. You hear these like record files go, oh, losing that is so fucking, come on. We barely had it as a society. It came in in like mid 20th century and then disappeared at the end of the 20th century. It's not a long time to have that. Stop complaining. You're acting like it's like, oh, we lost horology. <laughs> you know, it's just a record cover. Take it down a notch. But uh, it is a deep part of my thing where holding that old frayed album like meant something so i like making a version of it and it looks right to me when i see a clean digital image of my artwork that for the record looks terrible <laughs> it doesn't look good should be sitting around and getting beat on you just shop at bleaker bobs over uh in the east village i shopped everywhere my first album the the first weep album i think was sounds i think it was if you look at the label it was an old label for an old record store in the Lower East Side. I think it was Sounds. I remember that place. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's a funny piece of trivia, as if anybody cares. But I needed an old record to photograph and then do as an overlay for my record. And the, the blackest album I could find that was old, that I owned, the blackest album I could find was a Mighty Sphincter album. Do you know Mighty Sphincter? Oh, I love Mighty Sp Hollywood Goes to Hell. Yeah. Kingdom well, of Heaven yes. Yeah. Uh, today I was singing Hitler Painted Roses for no reason. I just stuck in my head. But um, so that's what it was. It was an old Mighty Sphincter album that was just very old and very black, and that's what I scanned to put on top of my record. You do have some similarities to the like in the Recovery Man White days to the guitarist from uh, I guess he was the band leader. Mm -hmm. got, the vocalist was that's just how I know the band. That's how I know them. Somebody went up to me one day and goes, you ever heard of Mighty Sphincter? You and the guitar player, because he would have, he had like a white streak in the, it's very similar, thin, angular-headed Dracula guy. Um, so I said, no, I didn't, because you guys look like twins. We don't. And uh, I went and bought some of the music. I liked it. That's, that's how it worked back then. Hey, there was no internet. So music worked in the cool friend theory. You know, you'd have a cool friend. Your cool friend would tell you what was good. You'd trust your cool friend. Sometimes he was wrong for you. Sometimes he would give you albums that you would never like for another 15 years, but you're stuck with them and you might like them. I hated the Smiths till I was 28. Hated them. 
hated them. Thought they were goofy music. I thought Morrissey oversang. I thought it was just ridiculous. Meant nothing. Hated the Cure. Hated Depeche Mode. Hated it because I'm an idiot. But it's and Depeche Mode. Hated it. Hated it because it wasn't cool. It wasn't dark enough. Like they dressed like idiots. <clears throat> and then one day you hear. I think I was listening to Black Celebration in its entirety, and I, I'm I'm wrong. I'm just I, I, I admit it. I am wrong. I am wrong. Depeche Mode is awesome. Black Celebration is amazing. And then I went back and listened to Violator. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so wrong. This is all fine. It's great. Uh, Smiths, I mean, you should bristle when I say I hated the Smiths. They're, they're amazing. Johnny Marr is probably one of the best guitar players to have ever picked up the instrument. It's amazing. But it, it just didn't appeal to me when I was a specific age. And I go back and try again. I'm not, I don't slam the door. A lot of people slam the door. Oh, it brings me to my tool story. Let me tell you my tool story right. where I learned a lot about myself. Very long time ago in Manhattan, tool plays. For some reason, I think it's CBD, because I might be wrong. It doesn't matter. And I go and see them. They're not really a big band, right? They're just a band. They haven't had their big MTV hit or anything. And I go see them. And I am, I hated them. I'm like, this is mathy, stupid nonsense, right? And I kept that opinion, like a jackass, for years. And then one day, while assessing myself, going through these moments of who am I crises, which I do because I'm a psychopath, I realized, wait a minute, I didn't hate Tool. I was jealous of Tool. I let my jealous, because there they are, fucking, they're doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. I'm in this band with a, like a woman singer and we're dressed like Victorian idiots. And these guys are shirtless on stage playing like rock bottom, hard rock music that is smarter than the average bear. You know what I mean? I wanted to be in that band. That guy's playing my guitar. He's playing a fucking Les Paul. I can play that. I could have been that. That should have been me. Purely out of human jealousy, I avoided Tool, who is phenomenal, who I love now and have loved for years, once I got over myself. And this is, we're human beings. Like, this is a problem that has been a part of art since its cave creation. We put ourselves so deeply in it that we ruin the experience for ourselves and for others. That, like... um Every album is like, everything after the first album is a sellout. And then you go back 20 years later and you listen to it. And I'm like listening to Pixies that I, I'm like, this is sellout bullshit. I can't tell the difference between any of their albums anymore. I'm like, they never sold out. I'm an idiot. Um, every band that I would slap a label of sellout, they didn't. They just, they just made new music and I'm a fucking jackass who's unable to, I, I made it so personal that they can't move on without me. You know what I mean? They need to call me now. Let's call Doc Hammer and see what, if we can do a different kind of record, you know? I don't do it anymore, which is why Suede is my favorite band. Oh, yeah. I because, love Suede. Because when I got involved with Suede, I, I made a pact with Suede. They weren't there. But I said, whatever you do, Suede, I trust you. I trust you. You know, you can make whatever music you want. I'm not going to scream, sell out. And every album they've made, I'm like, mm, best album. It's their best album. The last two albums they made, best album. An old band, bunch of old people, best album they've ever made. They just keep making great music. <clears throat> so, yeah, if, if, you, if I have to have one favorite band, it's a suede because I, I trusted them. I let them, and they wouldn't let me down. Look, for someone that goes sell out, imagine what it was like to be me as a kid. A kid, the difference between First Lost and Always and Floodland Come on. It's staggering. It's staggering. I'm, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm not ready for like meatloaf production, like literal meatloaf production on my sister's a mercy. I'm yeah. not ready for it. I, I don't know what to do with it. So, you know, sometimes I was right that like, I can't take this. And then you have the mission. I'm like, I don't know if I like this either. Like what happened? Um, they were both fine. Actually, Floodland's actually a fine album. And the um, God's Own Medicine is fine. It's a fine album. <clears throat> but I, I had to bail out at that point. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. So when people go, oh, you're a Mercy fan. I hear you're a huge Sisters of Mercy fan. And I stop them and go, eh. Uh, I kind of get off the boat at a point where right before you got on the boat, like I could tolerate First, Last, and Always. I think their pinnacle is probably Reptile House. You know, I, I can't get over that. Um, or some of their 45s, like Emma, their, their copy of the Hot Chocolate song, their cover of Hot Chocolate song. Staggering. It's amazing. B beautiful. Jolene. Jolene. Awesome. There's never been a great recording of Jolene. It's, you're stuck with bootlegs, but they did do a good version of uh, Emily. But Jolene, yeah, amazing. amazing. I want to go back to Suede for a second because there's one track that blew me away and it's one of my favorite songs of the past decade. And that was Outsiders off of uh, Night Moves. It's it's a gothic rock song. Is that the one with that? Starts off with a guitar part. Yeah, it's a really really intricate kind of. Yeah, you know Sarah, my ex Sarah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, she <laughs> sent me a text going, "Did you write this?" I'm like, "Doesn't it sound like it? It's the same kind of guitar playing, that weird uh, slinky." And I picked it up, and it was when I first heard, it, I picked a guitar and was able to play it. I'm like, I know that sound. Like that's the way I play guitar. Same with um that event of listening to something and going, did I have something to do with that? I had that with Catherine Wheel once, where I was listening to like Chrome, I'm like, the album Chrome. And I'm like, did they, did they start? Did, and I had no influence on them. I, I swear to God, they've never heard of me, but there are some guitar parts in there. I'm like, God, that is so me. Crank and the Black Metallic and... Yeah. Oh, well, Black Metallic is on Ferment. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is on Ferment. Oh, I'm right. My my knowledge of music is absurd, dude. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's um and I have a bad memory, like a terrible memory. I rely on my bad memory. But that kind of stuff I just never forget because it means so much to me. Um, I wanted to to know, um I, we haven't really talked about Venture Brothers too much, but I wanted to know about JG Thurwell. And how did you get him in, on board with that? Because we, we got him in, on board because he just want, he said yes. He said yes. We're listening to Manorexia. I don't know if you know the Manorexia stuff. And Thurwell has many sounds. You know what I mean? He's been around for fucking ever. And there, it's he's now he's really locked into this kind of big bandy thing. But he wasn't. Um, but he did Manorexia, and it just sounded like a cool crazy version of 60s music you know what i mean this kind of which is the music of the johnny quest era which is what we were originally dicking around with and here's this guy making exactly what we wanted and so we licensed the manorexia album for the pilot and i just chopped up his songs found intros looped him shit like that and he just licensed us the music and then when we got accepted as a television show we were accepted um, we asked if he wanted to do original stuff and he just said yes. And now he does it for, he does it for Archer. Like, you know, we, um, I'm not gonna say we gave him a career. He did it for himself by having the kind of music that people would want, but we did embrace him early. I was just thinking about him the other day during another interview, because I was confusing the two tours uh, with Lydia Lunch around 82, 83. And there was one she did with Roland S. Howard mm -hmm. in 82. And I was confusing that with the one he did with, um, the immaculate uh something or other yeah it's 
I, you know, I've never really talked to Thurwell about, we have a lot of things in common, but when we talk, it's really, I don't know. I'm not going to say he doesn't like me, but I think he might not like me. I'm a bitter pill. You know what I mean? Like you have to be all in. You have to be like, I accept Doc Hammer as a human being, his mania and all that nonsense. I have, I accept it. And I accept the fact that he is good systemically and I will listen to his craziness. And it's like, you really got to make a choice when you deal with me of like, believing me, like I accept you as a person. I don't think he likes me. Um, and I don't know if I know him enough to even say if I like him or not. I beyond respect him. I mean, Jesus Christ, I love his music. I've always loved his music. Um, even like, scraping feet us off the wheel was huge for me when I was a kid. I loved all that stuff. But we don't have a relationship. And when we're stuck together, we just become guys with our arms crossed. And we'll like talk about some tour that we were both involved in at one point. You know, and we'll talk about pig face or something like, you know, oh, remember. <laughs> I'm not saying we, we don't like each other. I'm saying I, I, he might be one of those people that did not drink the Doc Hammer Kool-Aid and is not all in. So we never get to talk about these kind of things. And I've always wanted to talk to him about like Roland S. Howard and stuff. And But um, we just don't have that relationship. We have a, we have a work relationship. He's a great guy. He's like a gentle, soft-spoken person. I, I really respect him, but we never got to be friends. If you look at Jackson, who makes a show with me, Jackson and I are like, we could live on a fucking island together. You know what I mean? We're, it, it's it's a, a beyond friendship. It's a love affair. And it just didn't happen with me in, in Thurwell. We, I didn't get enough time with him. And we're different. You know what I mean? Like, he's he, he's the real deal. He's truly authentic. He's truly cool. And I don't, I don't think he likes me. I don't know to say that. I, I, which I, I, can you blame him, really? Honestly? It's a bitter pill. If, if you're all in, you're like, yeah, I love Doc Hammer. He's fun. But if you're not, you're like, that is the most obnoxious, overly opinionated, blabbermouthy, albino asshole I've ever met in my life. I think they're wrong. I think I'm a charmer. But uh, history does not bear this out. You know, history is, I've, I've, a lot of people just straight up dislike me. And people who've never met me dislike me. How, imagine that. And you I mean, live in New York, so that kind of concentrates the whole... Oh. Yeah, but do I? That. Did you ever see me out? Like, I was the no. single most... Anybody that said they knew me was either lying... <laughs> or had seen me once like i never went to to clubs if i went to club i went in i plugged in my gear i played and i left i, I wouldn't even talk to people like if i if, if people said they talked to me at a club i had gear in my hands and i was either on my way in or on my way out and i wasn't rude obviously i would talk to people i love talking to people but i just i'm not social i i just didn't like going out i didn't like scenes i just liked playing or going to see a band hiding in the audience, watching them and then going home. I, I, so all these people that claim to dislike me because from the scene, they're all lying to you. I've, I've never met them or their girlfriend likes me. And that's a problem. You know what I mean? Like it's just like me and tool. I'm not saying people are jealous of me, but I, I make people bristle for some reason. I don't know what it is. I, and you be the judge. I'm not saying they're jealous, but I think they might be. Um, there's an intimidation that comes with authenticity. Oh, I, I feel it around authentic authenticity. I feel it with Thurwell. He's fucking authentic. He makes me a little nervous. You know what I mean? He's cool. I don't want to look like a shithead in front of Thurwell because he's cool. You know, so maybe I'm standoffish i doubt it because i'm a blabbermouth but there is interpersonal relationships are, are a weird thing and we make crazy decisions based on nothing 
You know, if, if we could all go back in our lives and go, let me readdress opinions that I've formed. We'd all be better fucking people to just go back and like, look, I didn't like you when I was in high school, band, human being, ethos, artwork, whatever it is. I didn't like you then. I might love you now. I might have actually loved you in high school and I didn't know it because I was afraid of you. Or how could I like Led Zeppelin when people that like Led Zeppelin are repellent? You know what I mean? So I went back and listened. They're great. They're fine. Their fans are can be repellent, but they're good. There's a lot there. That's what I want people to to take home from this. Is this go re all the things you love and hate? Go readdress them and take yourself out of it. Like pull your jealousy. Which look, I'm not pointing the finger. These are I'm drawing from my own experiences. Pull that out. Pull where you are. What time? Who recommended it to you? All these things. What girl you were dating at the time? What guy you were dating at the time? Like just remove yourself from it and go back and address it as a human being in this place you are now and listen again you might enjoy it or look again um same with it's with, it's with everything even entertainment you know go back and watch french connection again you might like it i've got to say that i uh go back and watch venture brothers now yeah and i like it more than i yeah, did you like 10 years ago it's venture brothers has legs I, yeah. the, the thing about almost everything that i make because I am the purveyor of boutique art. I am not making stuff for the masses. I, I, I would be insane to think that I'm, I'm capable of making something that people truly love. I, I make things that I like, and I'm not that different from some people, and that's what we can all get together. Like, oh, I think it's funny, and you think it's funny. Most people do not. And um, Venture Brothers is it's authentic. It's made from a place of truth. Jackson and I couldn't do anything else. It's not like we're super fucking talented. We could do whatever we wanted. That's just what we did. That was the, when we got together, that's what happened. And for me, it's uh, it's hilarious. And also it included these like, shit, you're not going to get anywhere else. You're never going to get Nick Fien jokes on any other cartoon. You're never going to get them. Don't don't keep looking. Don't wait for them. It's not going to happen again. It's just Stiv ben not. Peter's reference there somewhere in what? one of the episodes. I think you referenced Stiv in one of the episodes as well. I referenced Stiv Bader's and Lydia Lunch making out in Densiteria. Yeah, I might have seen that. I think I saw that once when I was a kid, and I was like, "That's the coolest thing I've ever seen." Because when I was a uh, kid, Stiv was Stiv was the man. He's he's like pocket size, by the way. Him yeah. and Andrew Eldritch meeting them, I'm just like, really? You really don't seem small, but you're very, you're very short people. Um, so that yeah, that's the take home from that. Andrew Eldritch short, commanding presence, but short. Um, and people used to blame; they would attribute, not blame. They would attribute shortness to me. I think because they're expecting it. I'm actually not short, no. but but I've heard people be like, oh, I meant he's really short. I'm like, I'm six feet fucking tall. What are you talking about? But and you can see it if you go look at p pictures of me standing next to people. If I'm not hunched over. Oh, I'm in a tall drink of water. But nope, they used to say I was short. I think I had short vibes. Little, no, but you're, you're uh, thin yeah, as a reed. Yeah, Napoleonic short vibes. <laughs> yeah, you're not short, but you're thin as a reed. Um, Rapier thin. Very, very tiny. Yeah. yeah. So would you concede the Venture Brothers most goth show that's been on the air oh. in the past? It's a good question. I'm trying to think if there were goth shows. Well, there's that, like, didn't Voltaire have something to do with a cartoon, right? Uh, didn't do the music Grim for Grim Adventures and Billy and Mandy or something. Sure. He did a song. Is that goth? I've never seen it. It's got the Grim Reaper as a character, but not really. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. Because, look, the people that make goth music do not get, they're not funny. 
I'm a fucking anomaly. They're not. I was the biggest letdown at a live show ever because I'm. I look like I look like Dracula. Go on the internet, type in like old me. Even if you have to use Eric Hammer instead of Doc Hammer, um, and you will see like I just look like fucking Dracula. So people would meet me, you know, waiting for me to be be super Dracula to them, and I'm funny and not super Dracula. I would just ruin people's opinion of me because I'm funny, you know. So. uh goth and TV doesn't really work because you would, you know, you have this like Brothers Quay aesthetic, right? When you think goth TV, you think of like a tool video or something like, or Brothers Quay. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with yeah, familiar. I saw, I, I actually saw like exhibition that was really great 10 years ago yeah. over in the village. Brothers or Quay. that kind of like, um, yeah. yeah, there's like this corpsey look to that kind of stuff. These old doll corpsey look. Mm. Um, that to me is like when you see goth TV, but we had, um, we had a show with a goth character that didn't rely on the fact that she was goth. I think that's why Triana was based on people I knew. That's it. She's just like this amalgamation of people I actually knew. She was goth, but goth people aren't, they're not goth, they're human beings, right? And when people play goth in a movie, they're sullen, they talk about suicide. This is not really a goth posture, you know what I mean? It's not like trench coat mafia. Um, you know, the real question you would have to ask yourself is, is Marilyn Manson goth? Go ahead, Alex. Is Marilyn Manson goth? Well, uh, I'm going to say no. And uh, <laughs> given recent events, uh, put the goth label as far away from him as Okay, as yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're trying to remove the label. But I could have told you before. Also, come on. Oh, my God. Marilyn Manson is a terrible... Um, and didn't see that coming. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, this one you saw coming down the pike that he is not, uh, mm, mm. that's just, yeah, it's, it's a weird situation. I feel terrible for her regardless. Um, I never considered that goth. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't goth. It didn't have the beauty. It had this kind of like cartoonish aesthetic. It had this, you know, like ugh, too much Hitler imagery, too much, too much Anton LaVey. You know what I mean? Which isn't goth to me. This devil worship is not goth. It's really a branch of juvenile metal, if anything. It's not really goth. Like, I don't really know goth that worship the devil. I don't know goth that believe in the devil, actually. Um, goth is really this idea of dark romance. You know what I mean? It's, it's why the name works so well. It really is this kind of windswept Moore's Heathcliff romance, you know? Like, that really is what I see in goth. It's a beautiful thing that relies on the dark, relies on the mystery, Um but it's definitely beautiful. I didn't see that in Marilyn Manson. So if we decide that Marilyn Manson isn't goth, that then a goth character is not this sullen thing that TV always makes it out to be. He's like, you know, I wear dark and black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside. That is not really goth. You know what I mean? Goth, goth to me is a much, it, you wear black on the outside because it's cool. <laughs> you're not wearing black on the outside because you're, you're depressed. You're wearing black on the outside because this is how you feel comfortable. You want people to look at you as this thing because this is the tribe that you feel at one with. This is the kind of music um, that makes you feel whole. So that's what Triana was. She was like a regular person. And her father, you know, who was a master of mysticism, also a very normal fatherly kind of guy that his job is to, um, you know, check the, the the web that holds us to this astral plane and make sure that the, there's no untied knots, that we don't slip through into the abyss, into the netherworld, you know? I don't remember what his on-screen MO was, but that was what I always thought. He, he kept the unseen fires of fate in check. That's what his job was. Dr. Orpheus, was he a avatar of your love of Dr. Strange? He was Dr. Strange. 
a lot of what he was was just, um, I have a, a part of me loves using antiquated poetical language, right? To speak super florid and in this useless, um, absolutely not contemporary use of the, of, of language that everything is kind of a, an epic poem. And to me, that's funny that my language is funny. So it would be a waste to not get it on TV. I'm trying to write comedy. And one of the funny things about me is that I write in this overly nonsensically uh, poetic uh, near verse. So Dr. Orpheus was a character that could do that. You know, you, you create a guy to use that language. And Jackson had that kind of penchant as well, that he liked using gigantic words that um, have no place. And to have a character that can speak in these ways and then make a fart joke is that's what he really was. And I loved, of course, I love Dr. Strange. It was awesome. Now, now that people know who he is, I don't give a shit because I'm, I'm an asshole. You know I, I mean? love like, Yeah. It's like he sold out. Like I'm, I'm doing it still. I can't stop doing it. Dr. Strange sold out. We got where Sherlock is playing Dr. Strange. I like Dr. Dr. Strange when nobody liked Dr. Strange. When it was like, he was sub silver surfer in interest. Like nobody cared about him. And now that he's like part of the, the, the Avengers on oh, a fuck, who cares? Who I cares? love how the fact, the fact that Avenger Brothers now, going back and watching it, seems to parody retroactively the Marvel Cinematic Universe in so many ways. I mean, parodies G.I. Joe, it parodies you know, Johnny Quest, but just the kind of parallels to what Marvel's been doing retroactively through the Venture Brothers lens is hysterically funny. Mm. Sometimes we comment on that. Jackson loves commenting on that. And sometimes for me, it's actually its own thing. Uh, the Guild of Clamorous Intent is a very specifically venture device. I can't think of anybody else that has used it the way we use it to take good guys, bad guys, protagonists, antagonists, and put them into a bureaucratic system of this is why it can keep happening. Because here's the problem with, uh, and we got to talk more about music because that's why I'm here. Because everybody talks to me about Venture Brothers, but I'll lay this out for you. The problem with these hero movies is that they have to keep up the motherfucking stakes keep upping the stakes it's, it's preposterous so you got this like eater of worlds kind of guy with like magic ring nonsense and jewels and like this stuff that just means fucking nothing i can't i'm a guy at home watching this going like i don't care if planet whatever is in peril this is nonsense the stakes get it was like do you remember heroes the tv show heroes yeah. And it was so refreshing when it first started to be like, shit, she's a cheerleader. Like, that's a regular person and she's a hero. And there's all these people that are regular people and they're stuck being heroes. And then it has to be like, you know, ooh, the world's going to blow up. Like, that's they have to get these big, stupid stakes. Then season two, ooh, the world's going to blow up. Like, really, do we need stakes this big? Shouldn't it be a little bit smaller so we can kind of enjoy it? And that's the way I like it. I hate big stakes. I find them... Uh, uh, ridiculous and marvel keeps upping the stakes we're like murder people it's ridiculous and um the last wonder woman made no sense i don't it's just weird i don't understand what this guy became a wish like i don't get it and he's gonna take over the enough of this taking over the world crap i think we had the monarch say it when someone goes well you don't want to take over the world and he goes look i'll leave that to religious fanatics and republicans i don't i don't want to take over the world i want to get dr venture it's a very simple thing i will get you dr venture did i stutter like that's the stakes that i love that's and to be able to do that Every day, like, I got to go get Dr. Venture. We created bureaucratic systems for them to do it. That's the Venture Brothers to me, that we work on the mechanics of hate, that we work on the mechanics of arching. Um, none of these other shows do it. They're like, you're supposed to buy 
a guy that shrank himself and turns into an ant with a guy that's like Thor. Like he might actually be Thor. Like I don't, this is crazy to me. This is bananas. And it's mainstream movies that were like, yeah, let's all buy into bananas with the Venture Brothers, which is a cartoon, by the way, where you can do anything. It's a much more believable world. A ridiculous cartoon, far more believable than, um, you know, the Avengers and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I, when I think Venture Brothers, I think it's really the, the, the believability of this, you know, like we actually made a more realistic world in a cartoon. There was it deals one. With, look, it deals with family. I mean, if you really get back, you, you said you watched it again. It's about relationships. It's about family. It's about failure. It's about blood. It's about all these things that most cartoons do not give a rat's ass about. You know what I mean? They don't care about these kind of, the legacy of how bad my dad sucked. You know? It's just not. And if they do, it's possible they got it from us. I'm just saying, we've been on well over a decade. We, we have influenced somebody. I promise. Yeah, I noticed that was a major theme in the Marvel movies, how bad my dad sucked was probably like a big theme of, uh, you know, the last few Avengers movies. Yeah, that, we, we made up how bad my dad sucks. Thanos... <laughs> worst father of the year how bad my dad sucks but it was always in the material maybe they stumbled upon it like we did naturally like if you look at james bond you're like this is a horrible person he's like a womanizing arrogant murdering he's a bad person you don't want to meet this guy he should never have kids so you know dr quest i mean we used to really the johnny quest is where we got our roots but we left that by the time we rolled into the half a season one we've forgotten that johnny quest existed you know that i've been in germany for so long like uh are you in germany now no 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 i'm i'm outside of new york actually yeah, i'm moving I to can, los angeles tell by but, the window window that you're in the same time zone yeah 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 exactly yeah snow outside yep so it's interesting to me that venture brothers is dubbed in german aired on german television but people don't really watch it but my friends they're like requiem in white more we love those bands my old german gothic rock friends that's bizarre that, yeah. that makes me feel good what you know what of all the things that have been said about me and people have said terrible things about doc hammer most of them are uh, maybe they're true i don't know one time somebody said doc hammer's vanity project weep right i got so incensed i didn't do anything about it publicly i didn't get on forums and be like how fucking dare you that somebody's been in music for like what 25 30 like i've been in music forever have a vanity project like i've i, I am the real deal like my music or not it's real there's no i'm not hiring studio musicians and like just so i could sing my form of jazz music you know i i'm, I'm playing this shit this is me I, I i've been doing this my whole life i'm monstrous so to hear that somebody knows me more as a musician which is big italy turned out to be a place where there's like reckon white just, it's it's a big band i remember getting a like a a, a snail mail like actual mail from italy of like you know what it's like in the in the american goth scene because the only bands they know are reckoning white christian death and there was like one other i'm like reckoning white how the fuck do you even know that like we were the easily the most underground band in the fucking planet nobody came to our shows um we were good we were authentic i mean go, go listen to it it's the internet these days you can get right on youtube and find an old requiem song see what we looked like it looks like a real band we're cool but nobody was there you know what i mean when we played i think the most people we ever played with was when we used to play with typo negative and they did not fucking care like that that crowd wanted nothing to do with us you know what i mean they just, we didn't we didn't push the same buttons pete loved us but crowds didn't um 
we did a tour with Christian Death that had some people that actually liked us. That was nice with Roz's Christian Death when they came back. All around 88 or something like that? Yeah, they played like CBs? Yeah, sure. I, I'm bad with dates, but they would, yeah, around then. I think that's, do you know Patrick Cusack? I do. Of course I know Patrick Cusack. Yeah, yeah, because I think Patrick's that, like the Patrick's the premier goth DJ on the planet. A planet. Yeah. Planet. Not, not like in New York, which he is. Planet. Patrick is, Patrick's the, the man. Yeah. Were you ever at his uh, apartment over no, by Bleaker Bob's? You got to back up to what I told you before. I never did anything. And nobody ah. comes to my apartment. Nobody, I've gone to nobody's apartment. I, I, you've seen my paintings, right? Yeah, they're that's they're not fucking around. I, I, I made a television show for for what twelve years. I put out. I was just on my Discogs page because I'm like, well, they have everything I've done. There's like sixty nine entries. Like to do all that. Like I have done so much shit. Do you think I ever went out? Like awful. I never left. Like you know, some of my exes. They can tell you straight up. I never left my apartment. I never. All I did is just work. I just kept working. So I've never socialized with Patrick. Um, I may have, like, one time he wanted something. Like, do you have this old thing? And that was, like, the, the one. And I'll run into him on the street, and we're super friendly because we respect each other. And he's a very sweet person, like a good guy. So we could just talk. Um, I met him in front of Rite Aid about five years ago, last time I talked to Patrick. So we, we we're... Hello, but we're not friends. I've never been to his apartment. Never. He must have a record collection that would blow my. Oh yeah, he d definitely does. Oh my, my point is not really his apartment per se, but it was just a block from the Sanctum Sanctorum. So I just always associated that, you know, Doctor Strange's place. Oh, he's off by McDougal. He's uh um Bleaker and Sullivan. He's uh like a block from Bleaker and Sullivan, right by. Uh, oh my God, he lives so close to me. Um, that's fucked up. Well, I think he moved years ago, but. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I never. I wasn't social. Like there's something I was, I'll, I will admit something that I rarely admit because people don't believe it and they don't want to. I'm on the spectrum. There's, I, there's an autism in me. You know what I mean? In the old days, they would have called it high functioning Asperger's. They don't use Asperger's anymore. It's just, um, uh, my ability to socialize. Like I, I won't look at you. Like it, it, I, I have to deliver information to the void. And I'm aware of it, and I've learned to mitigate its damages. But it makes me a bizarre social animal to to have high functioning autism and a very high IQ. So the two of them make me a jackass. You know what I mean? I'm just a weirdo. And when I was young, I couldn't separate people from their deeds, and I judge their deeds as if they were me. There's a solipsistic understanding of the world that comes with both childhood. Kids are solipsistic, and autistic people are solipsistic. They have an understanding of self that is overdeveloped and an understanding of the rest of the world that is underdeveloped. So if I went somewhere and somebody did coke, right, just did a line of coke, I, my brain wouldn't go, oh, that guy does coke. My brain would go, you are making a terrible choice. How dare you? Um, I, have, I will alienate you from my understanding of the world. Just like that, just cut them off. They're, they they have nothing because I was in uh, incredibly, and still I'm not a drug taker, um, but I, I'm no longer judgmental about it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but I, when I was young, I did. So I used to cut people off for doing the most bizarre things. Like just cut them off, uh, sever them, which is, a, which is terrible behavior. It's no good for friends. Um, the relationship I had with my bass player from Requiem, who's, who ha has, he hanged himself was one of like 
I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and connect with them as a human being and not this fucking lunatic that I was. That like we had a brotherhood that we could never properly express because I'm a shithead. You know what I mean? I think he always wanted to be close with me and I wasn't able to be close with somebody. It's like, honestly, if I could go back and form apology letters to everybody I've ever dated, everybody I've ever been to band with, and honestly, anybody I've ever met, <clears throat> it would make me a happier to just be able to go look who you were dealing with was a was barely a person you know what i mean i was i felt incredibly alienated i saw the world through my own very precise filter like aesthetics to me were were, were sharp as a needle if somebody went a little bit to one side i'm like that's tacky that's wrong how dare you and if someone went to the other side i'm like that's that's you you've moved into the ugliness of it like i had a very direct understanding of what was aesthetically correct and it's a it's that's a magic trick for an artist it's it's the best thing that could ever happen it is a nightmare for a person you know to have that where everybody was just a fucking fuck up because they weren't me which is how i thought you know they're not me so they must be they're wrong <laughs> so i i dislike them it was awful 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 and i possessed a good portion of that when you first met me where i just i was able to dismiss people like a monster you know you were very nice to me though and uh, uh, look always nice yeah i'm a, in my heart i am sweet and nice i never want to hurt people I, I i cower at the idea of ever insulting somebody um but i can say things that are brutal and i don't know i did it and people don't check me that i said it and if they did i would spend maybe a month re replaying it over in my head and feeling worse and worse and worse fuck up bit of a fuck up there alex i'm sorry <laughs> uh no i liked you you um i, I liked you because you had a, a an interest in things there are people that do things and know things and they think they know everything. They're not truly interested. You know what I mean? Like, it's a big fucking world. I want to learn it all. You had th that attitude. Like, I'm interested in these things. I don't think I know it all. Matter of fact, I got a thousand questions. I am interested. I, I'm. Uh, this is something I'm passionate about. I'm interested. Um, so I liked you because the interested person is, no, that's, that's, that's the way to be. Interested, you know? It was very fascinating when we had dinner at that Thai place because at that very moment coming into that dinner, I did not realize that all the uh, all the, the murals, posters throughout the, the city for the Venture Brothers were about you, your show. I just knew like Eric Hammer, Requiem and White, Morsiflitica, right. bands I liked. So when I came into that, I did not know that was your thing. Yeah, so it was a bit of a up. shock to me. It's <laughs> fucked it up. It was a surprise. It's weird. Uh, it's a bit of a shock to me. My... Uh, my ex existence is very weird because um, we now live in a society where we have influencers and people like that. People who are famous for literally doing nothing. They're famous for seeking fame, right? And then they parlay that fame and hopefully they monetize it and then they're suddenly not famous. It's a fake kind of fame where I have the exact opposite of a, like I have an antiquated kind of fame. I do very specific things. If you like those things, you know who I am, right? So to somebody, super famous. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, Doc Hammer's super famous. Somebody else, who the fuck is that? I have no idea who this guy is. Not famous at all. I don't seek fame. I don't, you know, I, I don't uh, man the internet and and try to parlay my my notoriety into something bigger. Nope, nope. You know, I live a, a, a more humble life than anybody. I just regular homebody, play my instruments, write my show, make my paintings. 
So it's it's a weird relationship I have with fame. Sometimes I meet somebody and I assume they have no idea who, they, who I am. That's my base assumption. Halfway through, someone goes, oh, when you did that thing, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know who I am. <laughs> I, I'm not famous. I didn't, I didn't realize that I'm famous here. Now I know I'm famous. There you go. And I'll answer your questions. What do you got? I'll do Dr. Girlfriend for you. There you go. That's it. That's it. <laughs> what do you want me to do now that I'll, 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 I'll properly be famous for you? Because I didn't know I was famous. It still blows my mind that the guy that made music I like as a kid, you know, did that show. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're the, you're the, yeah. you're of a minority of people that knew me from one thing and then accepted that I did another thing. Look, man, if the whole world was you, I'd be a happy person because most people cannot accept the, the idea that um, if they like my show, that my music is valid and that my paintings are valid. You Your know what I mean? Are, are, they're, they're, oh they're my insane. God. Yeah, they're insane. And I, I, I don't say it with um, ego. I say it with deep knowledge and pride that I've spent my life learning how to do that. And I will keep learning how to do that. It's painting you never get good at. You get adequate at, and then you die. And then somebody goes, oh, he was a master. But you don't know it in your time. You always think you suck. But they're all very serious. And if I didn't make music and I didn't have a television show, people could take my painting seriously. And if I didn't make paintings in a television show, people would take my music seriously. But you do all three. Nope. Nope. I, I do not accept somebody that has devoted their life to um, multiple forms of art. One of them must suck. And since I know the Venture Brothers, your paintings suck and your music is a vanity project, which is, you know, it's bullshit. A, bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I agree with you, Alex. <laughs> Forever, whatever my opinion's worth. You're whatever. I've, you've yeah. always been right. That's what I say. And you have. You've, you, you're, you are a person that um, you have taste. Look, having taste, I'm going to flatter you for a second. Having taste is an exceptionally rare thing. You know what I mean? There is, there is the person that can do things, and we we lionize these people. They're lauded. We love somebody that can do something, and we forget that the acceptance of what they do and the understanding of what they do is an art form within itself, especially outside of the mainstream. So if somebody's like, "Yeah, I love the Avengers. I love Drake," um, you might not have taste. I'm sorry. I mean, nothing against Drake, but you might not have taste. You haven't you haven't developed your palate into seeking these things that are deeper and more attuned to your specific vision. They're the right color for your eyes. You have just stopped right at the surface and have looked no deeper. Um, you as in the other, I'm speaking of the they. But, uh, but you, you, personally, on me? you personally have a very specific aesthetic and you have sought it out um, your, your entire adult life, as long as I've known you. Mm. And I met you when you were young. You've this has been something that you've been interested in unflinchingly. This is what you do. Um, so the fact that you now have postpunk.com and stuff, I think you are the right person for that. You uh, you curate. You know what I mean? You are a curator, and that's to me that's just as rare as being a creator. The person that can go look. There's a lot of things out there, but this, 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 this. That's authentic. I want you to have it. You know what I mean? And these old things that we accept, I want you to remember these things too because part of being a good curator is going, this is what I've picked up from now. This is what we've all accepted from the past. You know, maybe you don't understand Fad Gadget, but here it is. Um, you, you must respect it. it maybe, it's, maybe it sucks. Maybe Fad Gadget isn't good, but you must respect it. It's important. You know, I don't know why I'm picking on Fad Gadget. I love Fad Gadget, but it, it's, it's not for fucking everybody. You know, and my tastes... 
because I always, um, there's this idea of, of, of being a DJ, like, oh, I should be a DJ. Um, DJs are a form of musician today. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not playing records like a DJ on the radio. They go, these are the songs that I've curated for you that you would like. They're people that create a kind of music and play it live. Um, it's a form of live band. How that happened, I can't fucking tell. I can actually know why it happened, but nah, it's stupid. Um, but the idea of a DJ, of someone just going, these are the 25 songs I want you to hear, that interests me deeply. You know what I mean? Like what, of people that I respect or tastemakers, what are the 25 songs they want me to hear? Not, I'm going to lay my specific beats on you, DJ, but like somebody just going, I've curated 25 songs. That to me would be super fucking interesting to hear like, I would love to hear Patrick's 25 songs. It makes like, I, I can't get these out of my fucking head. You know what I mean? And of my 25 songs, if, if I ever played them for somebody, the gig is up. You just heard my band. You're just like, Oh my God, it really is. All weep is are these 25 things that are stuck in his head. You know what I mean? Like he just heard horse nation one day and he can't stop hearing horse nation. It's like stuck in his fucking head. Or like the first time I heard Sebastian by... Um, Sex Gang Children. Sex Gang Children. It's like, I can't get that out of my fucking head. When we played with Sex Gang back when I was in Requiem and we're all setting up and we had like, you know, we, we were doing a mini tour with them. So I'd known these guys, but they were just like these guys in my apartment, you know, and I hung out with them and stuff. But when we, we went to a club and they were setting up and we had set up and they did a sound check and they sound check with Sebastian, I almost wept. I was like, holy shit, like these people that I know, like Andre and all these people, like I know these people now, and here they are doing that thing. Like they're making this monster on stage, hearing that song live. It sounds fine on a record. I, I, I suggest if anybody wants to go back and listen to Sebastian, um, to put on headphones and crank it up to an uncomfortable volume. That song needs to be stupid loud. Um, but I, I was hearing that at the limelight. Do you remember the limelight? Oh, yeah. It's, it's an old church. church. Now imagine it sound check right so it's the day stained glass windows lights pouring in it's fucking gorgeous it is empty because it's only the bands right so it's just it's it's this sound filling a church that is empty and i'm alone in the audience i think chris was with me the, my the bass player for requiem and we were they just played it and i i was close to fainting close to crying like it was it felt amazing and then we got the tour with them and to hear them play like, you know, I, about five of their songs, I think, are some of the best songs ever written. The rest are crappy. Like, there's this weird band that when they hit a song, you're like, holy shit. And then they couldn't do it twice. <laughs> but, man, when they played those five songs, you're like, are, are you joking? How good is this? How good is this? So, um, and those, you know, these things get stuck in my head. I can't get rid of them. Uh, Paris 1919 from the, John Cale was one of those songs. I heard that song. I was like, you're joking. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. What was that collaboration Kale did? It was it's called Spin with Away. With Brian Eno, right? It's Spin Away, right? With Brian Eno? He did, he did a whole record with Eno. Um, it's fine. You know, they're great on their own. They're not that great together. But Kale has no bad songs. He did a, um, a, a live album. I think it's called Fragments of a Rainy Season. Something like that. Um, that is just him piano. There might be like a cello or something going on in the background. It, it'll blow your mind how good it is. It's just a live album. It'll blow your mind. Anyway, Kale, awesome. Not a big fan of um, Velvet Underground either. You would think I would be. It's not no, a big not, fan. no, no, Nico. I'll be your mirror or anything like that. No, never, never spoke to me. It, it might one day. You know, there might be a time when I'm just like, oh, the biggest, 
biggest fan ever, but it just hasn't yet. But going back to what I said before, I'm not writing them off. I mean, it may appeal to me one day. It might, that moment has never happened. Um, you know, I can appreciate some of the things. I'll appreciate Venus and Furs. It's got a very specific groove that nothing else has, but it's not my jam. Same with the Doors. It never was my jam. Did you uh, see Bowie on his last tour? I don't, um, I only it was like saw, 2002. I, I don't remember. I saw Bowie in his waning years. I don't remember if, if it was... I might have... I'm trying to remember. I've seen him a few times. And I saw him at like the weirdest club. It was one of those clubs on like 14th Street area, 13th. I don't remember what would have been. Not uh, Webster Hall, maybe? Webster like Hall a, or Irving Plaza. Yeah, something like, it was like Webster Hall, I think. It was a place you wouldn't expect to see Bowie. But he was like just premiering his new tour and wanted to do a soft entrance and somebody I knew got tickets. It, it's amazing. I mean, fucking Bowie. It's like, I don't even want to talk about Bowie. It's amazing. Like what he did is, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, there are so many other bands that like we should talk about that Bowie is like, you know, do we have to spend the whole time talking about God? Can we talk about St. Peter? You know, <laughs> talk about some of the apostles, some of these <laughs> lesser deities. Can we speak of Hermes and not Zeus all the time? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But yeah, Bowie's like, if, if you don't know who Bowie is, it's wrong. What's wrong with you? <laughs> how did you miss that? And I wrote a piece, like when he died, I wrote a piece about how there's a Bowie for everybody and that that Bowie is your Bowie. And that's like, I think there's a Bowie for everybody. Like everybody in the fucking planet couldn't find a version of Bowie that is like, yep, that's fucking awesome. That's just awesome. It's not Jared, I'll tell you that much, but a lot of people it is Jared. The weird oh, Jared. Pu yeah. The puppety Bowie. Yeah. I don't that that irked me seriously. My Bowie is more of the thin white Duke Bowie. Mine too. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Station cool. to station. Station to station is a monster piece. Jesus Christ. That's an album I'll never let go of. And, and yeah. I, I don't know why just that station to station proper, the actual song, that feedback that starts the song. When we talk about this build-up payoff. God damn it, I hear that and every part of my body is just lubricated suddenly. You know, it's like, it, it feels so fucking good. Then it, ding, 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 this breaks and just kind of chug. Oh, it's so fucking good. So great. But again, we're talking about Bowie. Screw Bowie. I was enjoying when we were talking about Mighty Sphincter. <laughs> the, the Forgotten. Oh man, that band. <laughs> they're yeah. like metal. They were like goth. They were everything. They, they were, were a mess. They were, they were an absolute mess and it was very authentic mess. I think they were from Phoenix. I believe so. Phoenix, yeah, Arizona. Phoenix. Like music even happens there. Yes, it does. Mighty Sphincter. Do you have any uh, plans on the horizon and uh, musically painting, television? Right now, I'm working with another band. Like it's the first time I've ever just played guitar for a band. But the problem is, is that when I play for a band, I become the songwriter, right? So say I'm working with another band. I'm working with another four piece. I'm just a guitar player, but I'm the songwriter. Like, how do I? What's the difference? And I find that there is a massive difference um, with Weep. The guys I play with with Weep, I'm, I'm the songwriter, right? But the way Bill plays drums and the way Fred plays bass and Alex plays keyboards, it's just in the material. It's like you write for them. You know what they listen to, you know how they play and you just become the conduit to who they are. So it's one of the reasons why just more syphilitica sounds different than, than Weep is just like I'm playing with other guys and it doesn't matter if I'm writing the songs, their playing style um, is a part of it, you know? Because if, if, if you rely on just me, it sounds like early weep, you know? Because I have a very specific way I play bass, a very specific way I drum, a very specific way I play guitar. But 
listen to the newer Weep, it's very much that band's feel is in there. You know what I mean? Regardless of who writes the songs, the band has a lot to do with it. So working with these new people, it seems, you know, we're because of COVID, is a little bit of a blessing. You can workshop shit. You don't have to go play it out. You can actually just come out strong. Like, hey, we have eight songs. They're good. <laughs> we worked them out when we couldn't do anything else. Um, so it's it's weird. I'm writing differently for, for different people. They're for who they are. It's just you end up uh, incorporating them into the way you write. Did I answer your question? I'm doing that. I can't talk about Venture Brothers. I'm not allowed to speak of it. If I am or am not doing anything with Venture Brothers, I'm sure there's an undisclosure agreement both ways. So, <laughs> you know, all I can tell you now is that Venture Brothers was canceled. That's all I can tell you. If it comes back, I'll be happy. If it doesn't, you've you'll got still, you'll be all, every episode holds yeah. up. And if I come back doing something else in the entertainment field that is not music, you'll show up, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, give it a, give it a, give it a go. How bad could it suck? I would be surprised if you didn't do anything in television uh, again, because I keep hearing you name dropped and Venture Brothers name dropped by people on other podcasts that are really big. So I wouldn't be surprised. If- yeah. I, I, what's fucking nuts is because like, I am, again, I will reiterate this one more time. I am a weird homebody. I don't hang out with celebrities, although I uniquely have celebrity, some celebrity friends. I won't name drop them, but. I know it's a, a few of them, but yeah. It's a, it's a coincidence, yeah. It's, it's just a weird coincidence that I just hooked up with these people we became buddies. But for the most part, I just don't leave my house. I just like working. Um, but I'll meet people in the industry, and they're like, oh, oh huge fans kind of thing. I'm like, fuck, really? Because I still think Venture Brothers is created on a napkin and shared secretly in a dark room. Like, I can't believe it's on TV. It's Because it's it was something that was really personal and done in the you know, shitty, dirty old Astro base with, you know, two chain smokers. Like that shouldn't be on television. That should be, that should be locked up. It should be shelved as they say in the industry. And only because I can't stop, because I'm a creature of repetition and habit that there's even still albums. Like I can't stop making them. Nobody's asking for me. Trust me. There's no record company going, Hey, when's a new album going to drop? Nobody fucking cares. It, it, they only happen because I can't stop because this is a form of expression that I am addicted to. I cannot stop making albums. I cannot stop growing as a musician. Nobody wants my fucking paintings. I can't stop doing them. I want to keep making them. And for writing, somehow people gave a shit, but I can't believe it. And I probably would have done it anyway for free, you know, because it's I'm, I'm a habit guy. This is a great podcast. It's my favorite one I think I've done so far. It was How just, many you done? Two? So, this is the <laughs> third one. There you go. Best of three. <laughs> it was the most relaxing one for me, I think. Yeah. I got into the groove. No, we're doing fine. You're a good interviewer. You give me time to speak. I've been interviewed a lot, believe it or not. Never about music. You might be the first person that ever gave a rat's ass about music. And I've been begging for it because I can talk about music forever. I can talk about guitars forever. Like if there's a podcast called Tell Me About Your Guitars, I could do this for probably eight hours and and just forsake meals, urination, defecation, masturbation, any of the things that I usually do throughout the day, I could forsake them to just talk about guitars. But yeah, I've always been itching to talk about music, but nobody cares what Doc Ammer has to say about music. <laughs> you know, tell me about uh, Dr. Girlfriend, please. This has been a pleasure. Um, and I would like to talk to you again about music at some point in the future. I'll talk to you anytime you want. I, yeah. Look, I, I got nothing. Um, again, I just do my art and I have all the time in the world to um, jibber jab about anything. It's not, uh, no skin off my back. 
and I do like talking. I, I something about communication because you know spectrum guy. Uh, communication to me is this thing that I've only recently learned about. Um, that I can meet people and like not prejudge them and like actually communicate and enjoy what they have to say and to enjoy them. And, uh, um, you know, there's a performative aspect to my communication that when, you know, if I have to speak to somebody, I feel like I'm, I, I'm on like, you know, I gotta be, I gotta duck hammer just comes out. Once this mic is off, I am quiet. I got nothing to say. I'm, I'm grunty. You know, the not opinionated at all. It's just it's something that gets switched on. So when I used to do Comic Con and stuff and talk to thousands of people, and people are like, "Aren't you nervous?" I'm like, "Nope." This uh, the person who is talking is a funneled version of who I am. It is not actually me. Actual me is not that exciting. I'm actually a kind of a bland guy that would rather be in the corner reading and listening to music and not having to. Uh, communicate or be funny or be interesting or anything but somehow when i talk to people i just like oh i'm so excited a human being is talking to me <laughs> oh they're so warm and they're, they're peach colored and uh, or if they're dark skinned they're not they're, they're, they're the color of beautiful wood oh i love them so much i, I want to touch their heart like it, it, a part of me comes out that is like an angelic animal <laughs> like i'm so happy to communicate you could you probably hear it in my speech that i'm i'm brimming with information and the, like it's like i've never spoken before in my life you know i'm just like, oh my god somebody asked me my opinion <laughs> so yeah i'll do this uh, anytime alex obviously well thank you doc you're welcome good luck editing this fucking mess oh yeah do you want anything cut uh what do you want anything cut do you want to cut down or anything like that Whatever, if, it, if the whole thing's worthwhile, you could put it in two installments. You could um, just run it as, hey, who's got all day to listen to something while you're doing something else? I mean, that's what I do with podcasts. I'm working, I'll put them on, you know, and they can ramble for hours. And I, I like the deep intimacy. I like that it goes on forever. And I listen to them, you know, I mean, any, I'm sure I'll listen to when you get your collection together. I'm sure I'll listen to every one of them. I, I mean, I'm, if you can get the people that you love, you have great taste. I would love it. Thank you for listening to the Postpunk Podcast episode number four with Doc Hammer. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe and support us on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash postpunk. We can't do this without your support, so thank you. I'd also like to thank Jason Corbett from Actors for the intro music, Corinne for the outro music, and Jenna, our producer. Jenna, you're amazing. I'd also like to thank our editors, Frank Deserto and Andy Harriman. And thank you once again, Doc, for doing this episode. It was great to catch up with you. So until next time, please visit our website post-punk.com. That is post-punk.com for more music news, video premieres, and more. Thanks, guys. Cheers.